You are listening to Maximilian from Maximilian TV on YouTube, and I am reading to you the second chapter of my book, Afterlife. Chapter Zero. Jimmy Jennings realized what had happened the moment he woke up without being in excruciating pain. It was, of course, too much to hope that after so many years of being ineffective, the pain medication he'd been taking had finally worked. So he'd understood his situation before he even sat up and looked around. He was dead. He lay in bed, alone. Jimmy stood, looking down at himself, still handsome, but still a withered old man. No more movie star good looks. If he'd ever had them, they'd faded away as he'd slept. Looking at his situation, it was plain to see that Jimmy had been a man in a coma. The first clue to this was that Jimmy and his bed were set up in the living room. By the looks of things, it had been set up this way for a long time. It was a more comfortable setup for his caregiver, wherever she was, for sure. The bedroom in the house was small, and while any caregiver would want to be near enough to keep a watchful eye, she'd certainly want some of her own air to breathe. A wing-back chair with its own little table and lamp sat in a cluster some distance away from the bed, but angled to face it, making a quick glance to check on the bed's inhabitant, convenient and unobtrusive. There were a few personal items around, but not many. A few interesting paintings by unknown artists decorated the walls. Modern rugs from Z Gallery, which Jimmy remembered buying, added a finishing touch, pulling the look together with a pop of color from the floor. A modern bouquet of fresh-cut flowers with long, spiraling twigs and impossibly long sprigs of rosemary took up most of the space on a small, round dining table across the room. There were only two chairs. From where he stood in his living room, Jimmy turned a circle looking around his home. He wasn't sorry he died. He'd been asleep so long that he didn't remember himself. But before he went on into the next life, he wanted to give some sort of thanks for the one that he'd had. If only he could remember anything. Jimmy walked into the kitchen and opened the fridge. Old takeout. Fried chicken. Jimmy rolled his eyes. People these days will eat anything. He couldn't wait to see what his home care worker looked like. Next to the cardboard chicken box was a bag from the chicken place. Sides. Jimmy pulled at his chin, trying to guess at what sides a home care worker would pick at a greasy chicken place. Obviously not something healthy. Even the collard greens at these places were riddled with little bits of pork fat and meat. He pulled the lower corner of his mouth to the side in contemplation, hoping that his bedside companion wasn't one of those delusional people who believed that the effects of the fried chicken would be nutritionally neutralized by choosing something like overboiled corn and a weak-ass iceberg lettuce salad as sides. He opened the bag. Two large sides. Macaroni and cheese. And... Macaroni and cheese. Crappy food, but he could appreciate the spirit of the meal, even if its quality was not to his taste. The top shelf in the Sub-Zero refrigerator was dedicated to various brands of coconut water. The shelf below housed some nondescript cardboard boxes. Prepared meals. 
Jimmy hadn't eaten food in years. He looked around. Shelves upon shelves of wine glasses behind clear glass cabinet doors glinted back at him in the sunlight. There were two wine refrigerators and a small wet bar on the side of the kitchen opposite the sink. This had been a house for parties. How long ago had this been his kitchen? How many months or weeks or years ago had he maneuvered around the built-in island, arms full with bags full of groceries, or stood stirring a chicken stew with a glass of wine in one hand? Back to the refrigerator. Aluminum cans of Perrier, lemon and original flavor respectively, filled both the fruit and vegetable pull-out bins. At least whoever was doing the actual shopping had decent taste. It would have been a real disappointment to have found some off-brand drink, Coca-Cola, or worse, vegetables, slimy molding and rotting, in the bin. No vegetables at all told him something. The people who came here didn't really stay here, didn't reside here. Jimmy lived alone. And Jimmy didn't eat vegetables. He was one. And so, at some point, those bins that were in a previous life filled with organic green apples, fresh mint, cucumbers, celery, and pears, or leeks and spinach and black kale, became soft drink dispensers. Jimmy and the protectors of expensive organic produce come soft drink dispensers had both seen brighter days. The last fruits and veg he'd brought home had probably gone to waste. Nobody wants to eat a sick man's food. Those beautiful, crispy vegetables had gone, wilted and rancid, instead of becoming a part of a meal painstakingly prepared by a man who loved food as though it were a woman. On the remaining shelf were food storage containers. Lasagna. Was this the same person who brought the fried chicken? Jimmy didn't guess so. In the freezer was vodka. Big bottles, too. A good brand. Jimmy's brand back in the day. But he was pretty sure that he didn't buy these. Whosoever these were had plans to either throw a house party or drink. A lot. There was time left on the microwave. Four seconds. Probably someone who was impatient and decided that it was hot enough. Probably the fried chicken person. Jimmy looked inside the trash compactor. A bunch of cardboard. Jimmy Craig. A mental picture of the home care worker was starting to develop. He turned away from the chicken to explore the rest of the house. The wallpaper was done in a tasteful but lively pattern in bright blue and steel gray. There was a light tap on the window as the wind blew a few old leaves off the gutter into the pane. Jimmy turned the doorknob on the door to his old room. The basement. Surprisingly, it was just like old times. Despite being closed off from the rest of the house, the air in the room wasn't stale. Jimmy guessed he had the air conditioning to thank for that. He looked at the thermostat on the basement wall. 65 degrees. He wondered if it was the same upstairs, though he knew from experience that it wouldn't have mattered much to him in his comatose state. The concerns of creature comfort were no longer his, and hadn't been for some time. But for how long? Jimmy reached the bottom of the stairs. Sunlight filtered through the hopper windows, letting in a surprising amount of sunlight. As a boy, this had been a magical place. He'd had plenty of room to practice his martial arts, 
He hadn't actually taken lessons, but he liked to pretend. And he pretended enough that the time he'd gotten into a scuffle, he'd been able to punch and kick the shit out of the other guy. He, of course, had never told his parents about his victory. It had been a difficult sacrifice to make. He'd felt so proud. But even at the tender age of eleven, he knew that once he told his parents that he'd beat somebody up at school, things would never be the same. So he'd kept his victory a secret, but it was still a victory. Whatever happened to that other kid? Probably dead by now, or in prison. Kids that start violating that early have issues. That kid he beat up had been calling him names. He couldn't remember why. It could have been anything at that age. He'd seen his friends, two brothers, beat each other bloody because one called the other a genius at school. It hadn't been meant to be an insult, but Michael's good grades had been his secret. His brother had let the cat out of the bag. Michael was a great athlete. It was his identity. He also excelled at academics, but at school, he didn't want to be known for that. Michael wanted to be known for smoking weed and selling it and for having a big dick. He'd started flashing that around at school once he got some hair on his balls. People laughed when he did it, usually at the person who had the startling shock to see it. The looks on their faces. Priceless. But more than being a funny joke, it became a part of his persona. Whether it was because of all the laughs, admiring looks from the girls, the cajoling attention, or the pure thrill of exhibitionism, Michael seemed to enjoy it just as much as the rowdy individuals that rooted him on. It was questionable behavior. But hey, Jimmy considered that if he'd had hairs on his balls that early, he might have wanted to show everybody too. But since he wasn't hung like Michael, it wasn't likely to have given him, or anybody else, any thrills. Michael, actually Michel, his family was French, wasn't Jimmy's closest friend, but he was Jimmy's favorite friend at school. When they'd gotten older, Michael and his family had moved away. They'd basically kept in touch until Michael moved back to France. Jimmy hadn't promised to come to visit when he and Michael had said goodbye, but he'd always had it in his mind to surprise his friend, to show up on Michael's doorstep in Paris as if he just happened to be casually passing by. Jimmy liked to imagine his friend's surprise, tried to imagine what Michael would look like, old and fat and losing his hair. He'd often wondered what had become of Michael, but not enough to look him up. Michael might have asked him to come to Paris, and Jimmy would have felt obligated to fly to France to pay him a visit, which he knew he would have enjoyed. He probably would have fallen in love with Paris and wouldn't have wanted to come back. In the wake of Paris, an upper-middle-class life in Los Angeles, Jimmy was sure would have lost its appeal. Starting his life all over in Paris would have required a confidence too far, even for Jimmy, who left Michael's invitation to Le Paris to collect Les Poussières, leaving the city of Paris unexplored. Jimmy thought about Paris a lot after Michael moved away. He figured Michael had probably gotten married right away. Jimmy could even see Michael having kids. Michel he had probably become once again. Forever cool without trying, at school, Michael dismissed invitations to hang out with other boys during breaks, choosing to smoke cigarettes and teach Jimmy dirty jokes in French. In the hallways, he spoke French exclusively, to his brother and to the few teachers who could understand. It was meant to be exclusionary, but that hadn't affected Jimmy. 
It had brought them closer together. Speaking French was something that he shared with Michael that most of the other kids couldn't. It made Jimmy feel cool. And there were other benefits. Jimmy was taking French, and with Michael talking to him en français whenever they spoke, he aced every test, pop quiz, and exam without studying. The first time Jimmy's father had come unannounced into the basement to get something and had seen Jimmy and Michael both hunched over a textbook speaking French, his attitude toward the long-haired boy with the nicotine-stained fingertips had instantly changed. Jimmy's mother suggested they should pay Michael something since he was directly improving Jimmy's GPA. But Jimmy's father, while generous in many ways, was cheap when it came to spreading around his dollars and wouldn't go for it. However, he did always offer Michael a ride when he stayed over past nine o'clock. It was payment in kind. Michael seemed to see it for what it was, and, even though he didn't really need a lift, it wasn't too far to walk home and not particularly a dangerous neighborhood, he never turned down the ride. Jimmy figured it was Michael's way of showing respect. Jimmy was comfortable in his own manners, but he admired his friend's cultured European sensibilities. Women of all types adored Michael. Old, young, teachers, small female children. One day at the park where Jimmy and Michael went after school to spar, a little girl had run at Michael screaming. Before they could figure out what was going on, the little Gidget had run right up to Michael and made a confident and gravity-defying leap into his arms. And without hesitation, Michael had bent down and caught her, he hugged her tight and swung her around in his arms before handing her over to the flushed woman who'd fallen to the ground twice trying to catch up with the toddler and intercept her. She looked terrified until she'd gotten caught up in Michael's eyes. The woman, it turned out, was just the babysitter. Michael had dated that girl for two weeks before he'd gotten her pregnant. It wasn't the first time. He was casual about it, but not cavalier. He'd said that he loved her. He'd said that about all of his girlfriends. There wasn't one girl that Michael had gone out with that Michael had broken up with. During their one conversation, after Michael's move back to France, Jimmy made a joke to Michael about moving to Utah so he could legally have more than one wife. And Michel had laughed and told Jimmy, in French, that in France, even poor men have at least three wives. Jimmy hoped that his friend, last he'd heard a budding film director, had found his three wives, and was somewhere old and rich and not in a coma, slinging his great old wrinkled dick around, laughing, and both scarring and scaring the nurses. Paris. He'd intended to go, but never made it. That's the end of the second chapter of my book, Afterlife. You've been listening to Maximilian. I'm the author of Afterlife. It's available now on Amazon, coming soon to iBooks. You can find me on Twitter, M-A-X-X-I-M-I-L-L-I-A-N. Hit me up, say hello, and buy my book.